0: Welcome back, listeners, and happy holidays. We hope you enjoyed our last episode and are ready to dive right back in. This episode, we're joined by Dr. Jim Hiller from the University of Dayton to discuss clinical improvisation. What is it? How does it work? Why is it scary? How can I be better at it? And what in the world is an IAP? Since it's the holidays and everyone is busy, we've got a little bit shorter episode for you with just one interview to digest, so you'll have more time for making merry. So put on the kettle, grab your favorite mug, and settle in for this piping hot episode of the MT with Jim Hiller. James Hiller, PhD, MTBC, is assistant professor and coordinator of music therapy at the University of Dayton. Jim's clinical experiences include work with adults with mental health and substance use challenges, children and adults with developmental delays, and older adults with dementia and other complications of aging. Jim's research and scholarly writings address theories supporting music therapy practice, research epistemologies, clinical improvisation, intersections of music and emotion, the impact of songs in music psychotherapy, and music therapy education and training. Jim's deep interest in clinical improvisation stems from his studies and research at Temple University with the one and only Ken Bruscia. So let's start with what is improvisation in music therapy? <laughs> What is
1: improvisation in music therapy? So me, improvisation is is infinite. And in terms of uh, work in music therapy, um, for a client to improvise and for us to improvise together is, to me, a truly unique human endeavor and unique human experience. Um it's, it's so in the moment and it draws on, um, so many domains of, of how we, how we, I don't want to use the word function, but how we, how we get on. Um, um so a, a real simple definition, I guess, of improvisation is, is extemporaneously, uh, creating sounds. Um, typically... We think of improvisation as having musical parameters, but in clinical work, it doesn't always have to be musical in a uh, conventional sense.
0: It's funny because you and Nancy both use that term. It's a unique human experience to engage in music and in music therapy. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm curious where that comes from now.
1: Um. I think probably mostly from um, thinking deeply about the four methods. Um, of course, Bruchia's four methods of, of uh, music therapy.
0: Dr. Hiller is referring to Dr. Ken Bruchia, who ran the music therapy program at Temple University and has written the seminal work, Defining Music Therapy which you can refer to for more information on the four methods available on barcelonapublishers.com.
1: Um, An improvisation among composing, uh, recreating, uh, listening um, as methods of engaging clients in musicking is, is truly unique and really calls again on so many different aspects of a person's um, I'll use the word function, personal (laughs) functioning, Um, cognitive um, motor and sensory motor, emotion, um, communication, spirituality, um, interpersonal um, ways of being. It's all part and parcel of the experience of improvising with another person. Um, And it, if, if, Performed uh, reflexively can be a very deep way for a person to um, get in touch with self, to hear self sounded, um, and to uh, then reflect on um, who am I as I create these sounds. What do these sounds mean to me? How they are? How are they reflexive, or excuse me, reflective of who I am and what I what I mean to say to you? and how i mean to be with you just a very very deep experience
0: yeah it sounds like it's really complicated like there's a lot going on when you there is a
1: lot going person. on <laughs> right um um, and, um i'll say and also and depending on uh, a therapist's um theoretical stance that they um embrace at the time that they are improvising with a client or listening to a client improvise, um, different meanings are relevant, different meanings come to the fore. Um, and so, again, it's pretty infinite as a, as a way of working.
0: Yeah. Can you say some more about that? So, um,
1: I, for instance, um, we think about Nordoff robbins work right, which is uh, quite music-centered and the way the therapist thinks about the client and the way the therapist experiences the client and their musicking is truly about the music with the understanding that music as a human expression is valuable and is not really, to them, not just a reflection of something about the person, but it truly is the person manifest in sound. And the way the person chooses to be with me as therapist um, is manifest in sound. Um, from, a, from a psychodynamic standpoint, I might look at it differently. And um, psychodynamic being a, a highly... Um, referential way of working and metaphoric way of working that the sounds and the way that an individual creates sounds um, is experienced by a therapist as a representation of of something about that person something about their their emotional life or their personality structures um, or their way of being uh, interpersonal And then I could even uh, look at it from a humanistic stance, which is really close to the the music-centered stance, um, where I'm witnessing this person um, on the path of actualizing themselves, and what I hear in their music and how I respond to it will be different than the music-centered and different than the psychodynamic, in that I'm truly valuing what this person brings to the table as as they are um, enacting agency. um, And the value from a therapeutic standpoint is that the person is is invested, is expressing, is living in the music. Um, So those are three different ways of looking at it. You could probably look at it from a cognitive behavioral standpoint as well. Um, I don't choose to do that, but um, but one could. I'm not quite sure how you can look at it from a behavioral standpoint. I don't, I don't really live there. Um, I suppose sure. you could reward somebody for improvising. Something. <laughs> oh, I've seen it. Sense. I've
0: seen it in uh, my work. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, um, meaning uh, relative to the music doesn't necessarily come into play in that way of thinking whereas yeah. it does with the others. Is that helpful?
0: That is, I love it. I just get so excited talking about this stuff because it's all so um, cool. I mean, it, improvisation is one of the main ways I work. So it's it's so interesting to hear you talk about it in such a deep way. It's, it's very cool work, indeed. <laughs> yeah, um, can you say a bit more about how it doesn't necessarily have to be music? You said that kind of early on, and I was wondering what you meant by that.
1: Right. So so improvising can result in what Bruce referred to as sound forms. So rather than thinking conventionally about music that has um, underlying pulse and uh, tonal ground um, and meter and, and all those structural aspects of music, an individual can improvise um, in, in particular re- referentially meaning the music they're making refers to something outside of the music perhaps an emotion perhaps a relationship um, perhaps some kind of uh, mood or emotional energy um, and so what the person expresses might be just that um, um, that there are a lot of different theories about this. So taking an emotion and, and putting it onto a drum, onto an instrument, um, an emotion doesn't necessarily have a pulse and a meter and a tonality, right? And, and yet um, the raw experience of how I feel how I feel a, a given emotion, um, can be expressed through the energy I apply to the instrument. And then that manifests as a sound form. Again, it's not necessarily musical in, in a conventional sense. Um, but it is using a musical instrument. It is in the context of, of a music therapy relationship. And so it's still music. Um, Uh, But it's uh, again, Bruce calls it a sound form and it Mm -hmm. still has expressive and interpretive uh, meaning potentials.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of um, some of the pain work I do in a children's hospital where for like the more um, like intense active pain experiences, I'll just hand the kid a drum and we'll just beat it out and we'll scream and vocalize and do a more active method. Of like improvising the pain onto the drum,
1: right? And to listen back to it, you don't find all the musical parameters that that cause us to call it music, but it's truly uh, that human expression using musical instruments as a as a uh, resource.
0: Mm, as a resource, okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of been talking around it. Uh, what makes improvisation an effective method in music therapy?
1: Um, I think of, I I looked at this question and I thought probably a more useful word than effective would be useful. So why is improvisation a useful method? Um, And I say that because um, effectiveness can be defined by the client, not necessarily by me. So Uh I'm not always sure about the effectiveness. Okay. Change might not happen in the moment. It might certainly be after the fact and I might not know what the effect is, but in terms of, of improvisation being a a highly useful, uh, medium for engaging with a client in, in music relationship, um, Again, it's very different than the other methods. Um, uh, Clients don't need to be skilled in any kind of musical way necessarily. Um, Clients still bring music and music sensibility to the process. Um, Particularly if you think about adults, they've been exposed to highly structured music all their lives, however old they are. And so they have a sense of of uh, perhaps form and uh, stability from from a pulse or from a rhythmic standpoint Um, they understand that different musics or different instruments work together to create a cohesive sound they might not have those words or ideas but from a um, a purely um, embodied experience they bring that knowledge to the process of playing Um, and, and so it becomes really accessible to nearly anyone who can shake, scrape, tap, beat, um, vocalize, uh, in, in an intentional way. Improvisation becomes accessible, which to me is, it makes it a a highly useful, uh, medium. And then, um, in terms of focusing that clinically, um, again, it goes back to the therapist's um, theoretical stance and their understanding of of client need, right? And um, how I choose to structure improvisation experiences um, to and en- engage with a client um, might be different from different standpoints, but the possibilities are vast, right? And so that's why I think it's, it's certainly useful.
0: I found that adults are almost intimidated by instruments and aren't quite sure what to do with them, are a little less free to play with them, at least initially, and then really struggle with, well, that didn't turn out the way i wanted it to sound right
1: right isn't that fascinating <laughs> we it, it's rough that we lose some sense of playfulness and risk taking in that in that realm unlike mm. unlike children who embrace it as an opportunity yeah. so what do we do with that
0: yeah, is that? I guess that's where the therapy would occur, right? Is working through that it, risk would, sure it
1: would. It would have to begin there. So, uh, I guess I I have done lots of of group work um, and setting the stage um, for helping a client. I guess individual work as well. Setting the stage for a client to feel um, to feel safe and empowered, um, Mm. and, uh, capable, I think is really important as, as our role as therapists to, to set that up so that they can, um, find the freedom to express themselves and and be in the music. So there are certainly techniques for that. Um, a great resource is, um, Susan Gardstrom's book about group improvisational Mm. work. Mm -hmm. But certainly, um, helping clients first get comfortable with instruments, getting, getting instruments in their hands, making some sounds, whether they make sense or not, just, just how an instrument feels. It's, that's all very powerful. Um, you know, again, children love to pick up at something they've never held before and find out what it does. Um but it becomes our role to, to, I think, uh, guide adults into that process. A little bit of modeling, a little bit of, um, sometimes some imitative rhythmic work, um, to help, help folks, um, realize that they do have capability of, of engaging that way. Mm. But you're right. It's, it's, it can be an issue. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is improvisation something you introduce right away then in your work, or do you take a few weeks, a few sessions, to get the clients comfortable with you and with the music first?
1: Um, actually, so, so a lot. most of my um, work these days, um, true clinical work, is uh, with adults in substance use program, uh, men in particular, and uh engaging the men in beating drums is not difficult (laughs) um they they like uh i'm being real general here but um the men i've worked with have have for the most part you know 90 95 percent of the people in the group grab an instrument and uh, find it find it fun and interesting uh perhaps not um, artistic and aesthetic yet, but they find it interesting. And, uh, if once we delve into some just free playing, um, without, without any kind of intent to, to, uh, express emotion or to do anything more than to live in the sound, um, it, it can be pretty powerful and open the door pretty quickly, uh, for those folks. Um, and again, that's working in rhythm. and mm-hmm. so from a from a, a procedural standpoint, I would tend to always begin with rhythmic work. Um, it calls on uh, less um, sophistication in terms of uh, um, cognitive and um, ex me uh, aesthetically expressive engagement than um, working in tonality does, working with melody or harmony. Um, I tend to always begin with rhythm. Um, that seems to be the most accessible. Um, there's that word, accessible. Again. <laughs> um, part of the music for for people to begin to find themselves and to find themselves musically capable.
0: Huh how do we find ourselves in the music and specifically in improvisation?
1: How do we find ourselves? Hmm. So thinking, I guess, uh, (laughs) psychodynamically, um, I can hear myself. I can hear myself in my music. I can surprise myself by the music I play and the feedback that I get from my own um, uh, energetic expression with an instrument that can I can be surprised I can be um, I can have some insight uh, as to where I'm at on a particular day or in a particular moment from an emotional or psychological standpoint Um, which is to me an enormously powerful um, aspect of improvising from a therapist standpoint, to hear a person in their music, to to be listening enough, carefully enough, and with with some theoretical foundation, um, to be able to interpret and hear a person's expressions and what they might be about um, is, that's truly music therapy hmm. Hmm. It, is that helpful
0: cool? yeah i guess that's what would set us apart from another profession because i've been reflecting a lot lately on the idea of like what's the role of music therapy in our world and like if we just couch ourselves in other people's terms and we just want to be like psychologists who use music or counselors who use music or behavior analysts who use music. Like what's the point of having a music therapist then? But Improvisation seems like one of the ways we have of working that nobody else can do.
1: That is true. That is another unique aspect. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Right. We bring, we bring something to the table. Uh, Again, that's uh, pretty unique, pretty unique as far as uh, human endeavors. Um, Yeah, and then clinically, uh, art therapists interpret their clients' uh, uh, visual art expressions all the time. Um, In music therapy, it seems the idea of interpretation is... uh, is controversial and perhaps even um, not forbidden but but not looked um, kindly upon hmm. uh, because of the subjective nature of music and yet i know that given a a, a strong theoretical position from which to listen and um, offer interpretive notions to someone's improvising. Um, and that's real. To me, that's real. I can know something about another person from the way um, they engage in musicing with me from an improvisation standpoint or the way they simply express themselves alone with instruments. There's there, There's a projection there that comes from a a purely, um, organic place when a person sounds themselves on an instrument. Um, and it means something, right? We can hear it and we, we, we interpret kind of all the time whenever we hear sounds, you know, is it musical or is it not musical? Um, then you can take the next step and say, is it meaningful from a psychological or, or, um, personality standpoint is does the music reflect or or represent something about that person and i believe it absolutely does
0: Hmm. how do you go about verifying that then verifying um so
1: so the, the model that i draw from and i'm not sure if if you spent time with this when when you work with nancy but the Improvisation Assessment Profiles, the That's IAPs true. that Bruscia uh, right. wrote about in 1987, are you aware of, of those?
0: Yeah, I've read through them. I don't have a lot of familiarity working with them. Those IAPs come from Bruscia's book, Improvisational Models of Music Therapy, published by C.C. Thomas and available to buy or rent on Amazon.com.
1: They're challenging, but they, yeah. the IAPs really, truly provide that type of foundation for listening. If, if hmm. At their core, the IAPs are a way of listening that gives us um, the potential for um, really her- hearing a client's expression, uh, improvised expression on a really deep level. And it also then provides an avenue for us to layer um, uh, interpretive notions uh, on top of what we hear in the music. Hmm. Um, In in the Improvisational Models uh, book, Bruce's 1987 text, um, he offers examples of... um, Thinking through a psychodynamic framework and what what different uh, musical elements and their use um, might mean, um, and then he also expands into some existential um, theorizing as well. Huh, but it's like a
0: real hidden gem.
1: It is absolutely, absolutely. Um, um. And, Yeah. The, uh, so the IEPs are are a powerful way for us to um, position ourselves to hear meaning and to make sense, make meaningful sense of a client's music. And so also, again, interpretation is always controversial in music. Right. It always has been, even in musicology and music history and so on. Mm-hmm. But we're in a, we're in a profession where we're really working with a human being and we're working with their humanness. And it's their humanness that comes through in the way they sound instruments, right? And so it makes perfect sense for us to find a way to connect the, that humanness, that psychological personhood, the personality of the of the individual with the sounds that they make. It just makes perfect sense. We, we just need a way to do it. And again, the IAPs, are the best and kind of the only thing out there in the world that I know of um, that truly provides um, an, uh, I want to say accessible again, an (laughs) accessible avenue or for um, a potential avenue for therapists to, to use that interpretive um, sense to understand their clients. And then a little bit further, we also, right. I, it, it's it's pop psychology to to just interpret things um, without being grounded in some kind of theoretical stance. But also, if we if we interpret through a theoretical stance, then we also check back with the client, right? Here's your verification question. Um, if uh, I'm mo- I'm mostly thinking about working with adolescents and adults, right? And so I can mm-hmm. I can hear meaning in the music and i can then check that out with the client we can together co-create the meanings or co-construct the meanings that that are um potential in the client's musicing. Mm. and so the verification comes from the client um accepting our interpretation or uh embracing it or um verifying to go back to that word
0: yeah it's so interesting to me because i have had my experience in music therapy as the client um, only through gim Mm -hmm. and in that realm i feel the therapist takes a very non-interpretative stance Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and it's the client's role to interpretate and interpret their imagery right and so i don't know it's almost like Antithetical to me to be like, well, I'm going to interpret the music you just improvised, um, just because of my own experience in my own therapy.
1: Right, right. And so, you know, what we interpret again, um, like you said, to verify, to to go back to the client, to check out with the client, to compare notes about about what the experience might mean, leads to a co um, co-created or co-constructed uh, sense of meaning around around the music or the improvisation um which then takes it out of the realm of of i'm way up on this pedestal and i can interpret you right? Right. <laughs> it's it's this shared experience a, a phenomenological experience wow. and and now that i said that i also want to say that um The IAPs are a phenomenological process. So what that means is when I hear music and when you hear music, you experience it absolutely uniquely to you, right? And I hear it uniquely to me. And so the meanings that we both bring to any given music listening experience are our own. And isn't that valid in it of itself, Mm. right? So I am experiencing clients improvising. The way I feel about it and and, and perhaps interpret that is my own. And the client doesn't have to accept that, right? But it is my own potential uh, uh, experience or it is my own experience of their, their musicking. And so, um, it, it really can't be argued that, that that I own that. But as I share that then with a client, and we, we can share and talk and, and uh, discern um, meanings together, then I think we're um, we're coming to some level of truth. Hmm. Right? But it's not that I'm just coming from some wacky, Oh, you know, I hear, I hear a a drum beat. So that must be your mother's heart. Right. right? Uh, Yeah. I don't go there because that's not what's real with the person sitting in front of me.
0: Hmm. It makes me think of (laughs) very clearly the need for the, your own work. So you're not just projecting all over the client and their music. Well said. What you think they need or. Yeah. Right. Well said. Um, and your
1: own music work. Hmm,
0: your own say more about mu-
1: that. Well, your own music therapy work rather than um, uh, your own verbal psychotherapy work. It's important, uh, of course, that we understand our own musicking and where our musical expressions come from, because that can certainly be- get bound up with the client's Mm. The the counter-transference possibilities are also huge because if we are in the moment with the client, which is the improvisation process, um, we need to be aware of as we we engage with music, we need to be able to, um, Agen says we need to be able to explain every music element and every music um, encounter, why we played what we played, Mm -hmm. right? That's, to Egan. that is us understanding our medium on a really deep level, that we don't randomly um, try to change the music or try to ground the client's music or whatever when we're playing together. Um, We have reasons for why we choose certain music elements as we're engaging.
0: Yeah, That's it emb- makes me think back to Nancy, um, because when we talked, she said, when we're in music, we're less defended. When we're talking, we're able to defend so well. But when we're in music, there's our defenses can be worked around, can be worked with. And of course, at the time, it made me think of the client and how great that would be for working with someone. But now I'm wondering, when the music therapist also engages in the music, are they also less defended? Are they also more likely to have their things worked around maybe?
1: I think the potential's there, sure. And, and so it really calls on us to do, do some improvising on our own <laughs> and listening to our own you know, recording and listening back to our improvisations and understanding where our music comes from. It's organic. Right? Where does it come from? It's somewhere in our in our experience and in our
0: our humanness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. Okay. Um, so, where can people go to learn more? What resources do you recommend for people to learn more about improvisation?
1: Well, probably the the best. General resource is, is Bruch's 1987 improvisational models of music therapy. It's it's uh, what is it? 87, 97, 07, 17, right? It's over 30 years old as a text, but it is absolutely relevant and and powerful. Um, the information in there is foundational for anyone who wants to uh, really know something about um, ways that Um, improvisation can be used in a clinical setting. Mm. Um, That's a great one. Also, Gardstrom's group improvisation. I don't have the exact title here. Um, But I believe it's 2007.
0: This is in reference to Susan Gardstrom's book, Music Therapy Improvisation for Groups, Essential Leadership Competencies available from Barcelonapublishers.com and also sitting on my shelf right over there. It's green. It's a great book. Check it out.
1: It's a, a, a really a guidebook that a lot of undergrad programs and graduate programs throughout the country use um, for training um, basic in, clinical improvisation skills, setting up group improvisations, facilitating, evaluating, engaging clients, all the procedural sorts of work. That's a, a really great um, primer for um, for activity level, if you will, supportive level, or even um, insight level uh, in, improvisational work. Um, beyond that, um, it, to get into more depth-oriented work, um, any of Mary Priestley's Uh, writings. Um, Barcelona Publishers um, has a compendium of of Priestley's work. I think that came out in the early 2000s as well. Um, So that's analytical music therapy, uh, which is steeped on psychoanalytic thought. She was trained as a psychoanalyst um, and brought improvisation to that, that area. Those are probably key. Um, then, depending on if you want to think about a music-centered approach, um, any and all of the Nordoff Robbins um, uh, books and articles. There are many, many, many uh, by Agan, <laughs> Alan Turi, Clive. Clive Robbins was a great writer. He writes so beautifully and so lovingly <laughs> about improvisation work with, with children.
0: Cool. And then for like self-experience, do you just recommend sitting down and improvising and then listening back? Is that a good place to start? That's a great place to start.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You might even, so,
1: so two basic, um, uh, avenues for improvising from a clinical standpoint are, Referential improvising and non-referential improvising. So, referential, you might jot down uh, for yourself some emotion labels: uh, calm, uh, love, anger. Uh, these these sorts of things, guilt, sadness, and and just play those. Take one, think about it for a moment. Don't plan, but just think about it for a moment and uh, engage in whatever instrument or instruments you have in playing your experience of that emotion and recording it, right? Or to play the nature of a relationship, something like that. Um, Or something about self-perception. My master's thesis was um, I had people play a real self improvisation, which meant um, they were playing their conceptualization of themselves right here and now, today, who they are, what they're like, and I recorded that, and then I had them play what they thought their ideal self might be, Hmm. and then I did some comparing and contrasting of those different uh, referential improvisations. That was pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredibly yeah, fascinating.
1: Those the real self and ideal self, those are uh, Jungian concepts. Yeah, that was fascinating. So those are referential. And then to play non-referentially, um, meaning just to make music for music's sake. So grab an instrument that you're drawn to and start playing. Right. Um, try another instrument and play. We relate to different instruments differently. Um, depending on how they feel to us, how they look to us, how they sound to us. We bring different uh, expressive potentials to each different instrument that we play. That, so that for a therapist, again, that's a pretty important, I think, um, process to go through uh, because you create a relationship with each instrument, and you need to be um, on some level skilled but at least feel um, expressively adequate on any given instrument if you're going to use it clinically.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think that's maybe the first time I've ever heard that, that you should feel expressively adequate before you take an instrument into music therapy.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, you, hmm. you don't want to be learning in front of your client or with your client necessarily.
0: It's yeah. something I'll take back to my students I like that There you go <laughs> Alright, so then we'll just run through these Last couple questions real quick Okay um, What's your favorite part about being a music therapist? Uh, um, I think
1: music therapy to me Still feels um, Like there's still so much to know Like, I think I know a bunch of stuff, and I think music therapists, um, the most seasoned music therapist, knows a bunch of stuff. Um, But we don't know it all. We we just still don't know it all because it's such a an amazing process to make music. Um, uh, We are created in an amazing way that we can do musically what the things that humans do um yeah so i think that's a favorite part is that we're 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 never going to get it all figured out not in my <laughs> lifetime right um and and so every day is can be new and i can learn something new right there's there's just all sorts of potential for for uh, new knowledge about about music I like to tell, um, uh, prospective students when, when they come and talk about a program or joining our program. And, and I just, um, I often say, you know, when I was, before I came to music therapy, I was a performer and I played, you know, five, six nights a week in smoky, nasty bars and restaurants. Um, but I, I was always kind of uh, begging the audience to love me. Right? Like, love what I do, love my music, look, look at how hard I work. And then when I finally came to music therapy and realized that it's not about me at all, that it just turns that whole equation on its head um, and the music becomes for another, for another person's experience, um, or for them to develop a relationship with music, um, that it's a beautiful thing, and that yeah, to me, that's another cool aspect of music therapy that that is absolutely different than education and performance and musicology and and all the different areas of, of music study.
0: So cool. Um, on the flip side, what's your least favorite or the hardest part of being a music therapist? Um, the hardest part. I had trouble thinking about
1: this one. <laughs> um, I guess it might even be the same thing that the vastness of of music therapy. Mm. You know, I'm... I'm looking at 60 years old in, in a couple months here. And um, there's still so many ways of, of working musically that I would love to invest my time and money in, uh, you know, to become uh, a, a GIM fellow or to um, work in analytical music therapy or to I'm a guitarist to spend time um and energy learning how Nordoff Robbins therapists work from, from the guitar standpoint and bringing that work like, like John Carpente does Mm -hmm. Um, and Alan Turi as well. I would love to do all those things, but it's frustrating because I know I won't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of the same problem. It's so vast. Yeah. Yep. Cool. For a young person like yourself, the world is your oyster, Tony. I know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah,
0: No, it's great. I love it. I keep saying I'm going to be a GIM fellow, a Ordolf Robbins, music therapist, all these cool things. Yep. I need all the training I can get. Do because I just It's just so cool. Yeah. There you go. A nice little holiday treat for your ears. Be sure to let us know what you think by sending any questions, comments, or concerns to mtpodcast at gmail.com or DMing us on Instagram at mt podcast special shout out to at rhythmic roots music therapy on instagram for all the love comments and sharing of our last episode we'd love to hear any improvisations you create and record in response to this episode and may even feature them on our next show make sure you subscribe to catch new episodes and give us a rating and or a review if you're liking what you're hearing we'll be back in january with another scalding serving of the mt as always, we'll finish the show with some final words from Dr. Hiller on how music has impacted his life.
1: Oh, how has music impacted my life? It's purpose, right? If I think existentially, um, it's it's a key purpose in my day-to-day existence to, to think about music, to study music, to do research on music and music therapy, to read about music, to talk about music. It's, you know, the funny thing is it's invisible, right? (laughs) Music is, you make it and it's gone, unless of course you record it, but so much of what we do, we don't record and we'll never revisit it. That's, uh, That's a thing, but you know, we get up every day and we do it again. And, and to work clinically, we do it with another person every day. Or the person we worked with yesterday is a little bit different today, right? It's that infiniteness, I think. Mm. So, yeah, it gives me meaning, gives me purpose. Yeah. Very cool. And joy too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
1: All right. Yeah. I, um, okay. One last. So, I, I also play. Um, Professionally, I just, you know, I do a solo gig and I play in wine shops and stuff like that. Um, And I, when I was younger, again, I used to, you know, crave people's uh, attention and so on to what I was doing musically. And it was so important to me. And at some point, and I think this is because of music therapy, at some point I realize that it's not about me, it's about the song. Hmm. right? So people sitting in an environment where they're having a glass of wine or a meal or whatever. Um, it's they don't know me necessarily, right? But the song really moves them. Every song I play, um, not everybody, of course, is moved by it, but it's the song. people in in our world are so drawn to and have such deep associations and memories with songs Um, they're a part of part of who we are part of our life experience and so the pressure's gone because all i am is kind of a conduit for for somebody else getting in touch with a song that moves them in a in a certain way that's pretty Hmm. cool too
0: This episode was hosted by Tony Boykle, produced by Nathan Sheets. Original music composed and performed by Nathan Sheets and Tony Boykle.